I'm Kevin Nicolai, and this is The Perplex Pad. Every week, I speak to another expat here in Korea and talk about the passions that they give them life. This week, episode two, I present the carpenter, the photographer, the wandering man of Daejeon, Mr. Hank Haddock. And Hank Haddock is a carpenter and a photographer from America. And I first met Hank through the Dejan Art Collective. And Hank makes these gorgeous, one-of-a-kind furnitures and other kind of abstract woodwork. And some of my favorite stuff is Hank's there because it's different medium for the group. Most of the group does painting or, or other things. Uh, but you have also been kind of uh, branching out into photography. And you're working with them old-timey cameras. I see you brought one with you today. What's that model, Hank? Oh, it's a Nikon Nikonos 3 uh, underwater camera, which I'm not shooting in underwater, but you know. But it is a rainy day today. It's rainy. It's <laughs> pissing down a little bit, so. Okay, and I noticed a lot of your work in, cam in photography kind of focuses on like kind of the everyday nature of Dejan and uh, just kind of capturing Dejan as it is with pedestrians and store clerks as they are which I think is really fun and interesting. Yes. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on. Oh, good. So welcome to the Perplex Pad. Glad to be here. <laughs> Great. It's my first podcast. Great. It's kind of mine too. You're episode number two. I have to admit that I've, uh, I dream some, I listen to podcasts quite a bit <laughs> and, and occasionally I'll sort of muse in my brain that it'd be nice to be a guest. So here you are. A dream is yeah. coming true for yeah, you. Yeah, it's not bad, you know. <laughs> Okay, so I wanted to start a little bit at the beginning here about, like, what created Hank Haddock? How did you come to be? I know you as Hank the carpenter, Hank the photographer, Hank the longtime resident of Dejan, but I want to take us back to those origins about what brought you to be this person I know today. If you want to go back to the beginning. Birth. birth. Sure, birth, early place, your parents, that sort of thing. All right. Well, my dad was in the, my dad was in a nuclear submarine in the Navy, so we, uh, I was born in Rota, Spain. Uh, my dad was stationed there on a submarine tender, and then I lived there for 10 months. Not very long, don't, okay. re don't remember much. Okay. And then we moved to Pennsylvania, where my dad was stationed on a, he was a supply officer as well. He was on a naval supply depot in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, which is where he lived when he was in high school, actually. So my grandfather was also a naval officer and a supply officer. And then the Navy sent him to Michigan, University of Michigan to get a master's in business administration. And uh, then uh, we all moved to Connecticut where he was on the commissioning crew of the Ohio submarine. It was a uh, Trident nuclear submarine. Wow. Full of some big bombs. That sounds kind of intimidating to have this dad who's like a nuclear sub guy. Well, you know, like, <laughs> so. like everybody, your parents are just your parents, you right, know, no, matter, right. no matter who they are. Right. And then we, and then he was an exchange officer. The, the Navy, the U.S. Navy sent him down to Australia to work with the Australian Navy, the Royal Australian Navy. And uh, so we lived in Canberra, Australia for two years, which is a long way from the ocean. But, you know, it's they're Washington, D.C. I so, see. And then we moved back to the States in 1981 to Charleston, South Carolina. And my dad had three tours there, which is and then that's where he also finished you know, finished out with the Navy and retired after 20 years hmm. as a commander. Nice. And uh, you get that nice retirement package after 20 years, don't you? Why don't? <laughs> <laughs> he it got, doesn't extend through several generations. That's too bad. He's been getting 
half pay of what a, a naval commander makes since 1986. That's 1987. Not bad. That's, 1987. Not, that's not bad. Yeah, he's still, you know, he's still alive too. So <laughs> yeah. like that's that's some serious change. And then, and then we had moved. That was like my first year of high school, the last year there. And then we went. To, we moved to Atlanta after he retired, where uh, my dad had a job for Waffle House. Really? Yep. I mean, we all moved there. I keep just talking about my dad. But the <laughs> reason we were moving is because of my dad's work. I but see. My mom and my brother and my sister, we all we, we were all in tow, you know. We all did stuff in right. every place as well. And then uh, my dad's fraternity brother owns Waffle House. So Wait, wait, he owns it? Like the big chain? Or yeah, he Joe Rogers Jr. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, it's a privately owned company. So yeah, yeah, yeah. He must own, I don't know, he must own... The majority. I don't think that's public information okay. anyway. Huh. So well, now it is. And I did. And I did work at Waffle House for you know one summer, two summers in two different places. Right. Um, washing dishes in Atlanta, Unit Two Ten. And then, uh, and then after tenth grade, my dad quit. So then we moved to uh, Denver, Colorado. And uh, I finished my last two years of high school there. Hmm. And then I went to college in Colorado as well for six years. So the longest I lived anywhere in the States was six years. Huh. Six years in Charleston and then six years in Greeley, Colorado, at where I went to university. Hmm. So I'm wondering one of the reasons that you kind of like were willing to like move overseas permanently might have been something to do with how kind of just natural it is to move. Yeah, like, you know, that he sort of, everybody gets into a bit of a rut if they stay someplace. Yeah. I, think, I think probably the... As it turns out, like, I, I got out of university, I got out of college, and then I was delivering automotive parts for my dad, my dad's ex-old company. And I had a, I had a customer that I told, I was going to go to Europe for three months, you know, like, and I was just working there temporarily to make money. And I told this, one of my customers, this guy that owns a junkyard, salvage yard, I guess is the, uh, <laughs> is the preferred term. Sure. And he said, uh... He looked at me and he's like, I went to Europe when I was a kid and it changed my life. And I didn't think much of it at the time. I didn't think much of it until about a couple of years ago. And I remember thinking about it like, I think that's probably why I came here. Wow. Because I, I came back from there and I was really bored with my life. I mean, I did stuff for about five more years, but then I was just like, I got to I got to go do something different. Hmm. And, I, you know, I was working as a carpenter. Well, now, how did that how did that get started with you? being a carpenter in the states well that's that's because of my mother actually okay. and, well my parents but my my parents had bought five acres like south of Denver and my mom my mom had the idea to uh, to for a house so she she sat down over a period of months and she drew up the architectural plans um, and I think she took the, they, they had about like, there were like six things wrong with them when she took it to the structural engineer. Hmm. You know, she bought a book right. at a bookshop, at a bookstore, like how to draw architectural plans and then sat down and drew them. Wow. And it was a, it, 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 it I said it was a cool project. It is because the house is still there. Hmm. My parents don't live there anymore, but you know, it was designed off of a, off of a uh, Australian, I think like a sheep ranch house. Huh. And I've, I've seen, like, there's similar type houses in, like, South Africa and stuff as well. So it could just be, like, British colonial. But, you know, it's got a wraparound porch for shade, mm -hmm. like, the entire house. It, w it, was, it was really cool. 
But the, the reason I started being a carpenter is the guys that were the carpenters that my mom, she was the general contractor. She hired a couple of carpenters and I ended up working for them during summer vacations. How old were you then when you started? 21. Okay. So, and then I, I worked, you know, I worked for those guys. I worked for, that was in Denver and then in Greeley. I ended up working for about three or four different guys, you know, they were, they were all dudes, you know, all, all grizzly, grizzled. Right. The guys in Denver were like young dudes, but the guys in Greeley were all sort of grizzled old carpenters. Hmm. You know, at the time, they're, they're all younger than I am right now. But, you know, at the time, right. when I was in my 20s, they seemed like old grizzled dudes. Sure. But now I realize they're not that old. Yeah. <laughs> and this was, it's, it started kind of like a summer job. Yep, summer and winter, because, you know, you get a month off in the winter. Do you get kind of union pay at that point? No, nah, there's no, in Colorado, there's no union pay. You end, okay. up, you end up, like, you technically own your own business. Right. Because there's a, that's like a loophole, I think. Right, You right. don't have to, for insurance reasons. Right, right, and dealing with taxes and stuff, yeah. And then... Sounds kind of like a screw job, though. Those union pay sometimes seem pretty good. I never would have been a carpenter had right. I been in the East Coast where they're, it's, you know, protected by unions, I'm assuming. Because right. you actually, you know, that's more of a commitment. Right, right, right. Um, but, it, you know, it ended up being like a, it, there's, there's, art, there's art in carpentry because you get these bulk materials. And even though, like, the vast majority of the shit I was building was just, you know, prosaic, normal suburban crap right you know and there's nothing wrong with that like that's where people like that I, mm -hmm. I don't really but like if you learn how to do anything then you can use the it's just knowledge on how to build it and then you can actually take that and then you know do something more interesting with it later mm -hmm. so that, I guess that's like what got me out of bed in the morning like trying to figure out like how I could like use it in the future mm -hmm. so you got a little excitement out of it yeah you know it was like that and it was like you know it's a physical physical activity you know it was always did, we always played sports growing up so you know you got to you got to be a decent athlete to be a good framer frame carpenter hmm. okay so i'm kind of wondering about kind of like that journey from like starting as a carpenter and like kind of getting into art with it because you just kind of like mentioned like there's these little things you can do and um, what was that journey like from like dealing with a purely utilitarian to going, oh, I can do this like through an art collective and present it as art? Yeah, the, I guess the, I guess in 1998, I was like, I owned a house in Denver and I was working as a carpenter. And I, I did have a bit of free time. I wasn't working that hard, I guess, but I just decided I was going to do some paintings, like some and, and it's all abstract because I, you know, I don't have the patience to sit down and, you know, do any. You work fast, thing. Hank. You work fast. Yeah, there's <laughs> figurative art is not my bag. Right. So I ended because I was a carpenter. I like I ended up I got some I made my own canvases, you know, and like some of them right. were framed. One of them, you know, the, like one of them I, uh, I actually have in Korea from 19. I did five. And one of them I still have. And I and I just, you know, I showed it. I showed it at one of our shows. Mm. And it's just like, you know, acrylic abstract paintings. Right. And then one of them actually has a frame that I still have. You know, mm -hmm. so like I framed, I, you know, this plywood. I framed it with some like uh, two by fours from the garden of the house I owned then. And then I painted it. And I, you know, like I did five of those. That was sort of my first like foray into artwork. Hmm. And uh, 
the the reason that I came to Korea, like I was more interested at that in that at that time in like uh, in writing literature, hmm. and I still write. I think I'm shit at it, right? But like, because it's really really hard to do to do well. I mean, anybody can do do it. You like doing short stories, or what kind of writing do you? It's like a, it's it's like a short some short stories. A fair amount of poetry written in the second person, mm-hmm. and I and I've and I've I, like the last couple of years I've been writing more mm. with typewriters. Oh yeah, yeah, I've seen your typewriter stuff. And uh, I also wrote two novels in Korea, and they're like real, like episodic short chapters. Okay. It's like basically like extended flash fiction, I guess. Nice. Which is like, you know, like it's just a bit. It's a bit easier to like to wrap your head around. Mm-hmm. My head around. You know, Did you do anything with those novels? Are they sitting around or? Well, they're they're typewritten, and uh, I actually have uh, bound them. You know, spiral bound them. Nice. You know, sort of like <laughs> saved them in ten copies. So there's ten copies of of of, the, of one of the novels. The other one I haven't quite done finished the revision yet. Okay. And the, and that's you know it's just a draft like it's a, a further draft the one that's so, like so this these books they don't exist anywhere in the digital world they're just on the typewriter and Xerox stuff no I mean there might be, there's a few pages of like you know photographs of uh, poetry right. that's like online right. in some places but the vast majority of it like you know it's it's just like these small run print print run books on A5 paper. You know, printed and then bound, spiral bound, sitting and mostly sitting on my shelves. Hmm. So it's purely just, it's just, I guess it's just sort of a, an art exercise just for myself mostly because the, the world has not found me. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes that blank page just calls you and you got to write, I feel. So the, so I, I mean, I came to, like, with, I came to Korea with that in mind. Like, a fraternity brother of mine was living here and, and I knew that you could make decent money, you know, teaching English like like a lot of people do here, and not and not work that much in terms of hours. Mm-hmm. So it was like part time work for full time pay. Right. And I was like, well, that's great. I can parlay that. You need time to like to write or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I and I did write mostly when I came here. But what I what I ended up doing is I started like abstract painting, like, like more with uh, oil paints. And oil and spray paint, actually. Right. I remember watching you at an art residency in Daejeon put up like a giant canvas and just go at it. And oh, it yeah. seems like you made a lot of progress in a short time. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, that was all spray paint. Right. Yeah, it's, I still have those. Those are, I don't even know how big those are. Like maybe t- two meters. Much, yeah. A meter, a meter, a meter and a half, two meters tall and like a meter and a half wide. That sounds about right. Whatever, whatever the width of a, like a roll of canvas is, that's, that's how wide they are. In their and do you have any specific process when you're doing that? Or are you just, what feels good, baby? It's just, you know, it's kind of liberating because I just, I sort of, I do get into the moment, you know, like I, I get into it, but right. then it's just, and I just do it, do what I want until it's finished, which is kind of nice because most things in life you can't do that. Oh, I know. You know, like there's, you have to do, you have to do shit the way people want you to do it. But if it's your art, then you can just do it however you want. I love starting without a plan and I'm going. And you know, you're like improvising by what happened on that line and what happened on that line. Yeah, that's, that's, it's just all, you know, I guess somebody at one point, it's abstract painting, action painting. Right. It doesn't really matter. It's just, 
it's sort of fast and furious to quote, you know, like a, a movie title, I guess. <laughs> and the, uh, and I kind of do everything the same way. The, uh, the photography is really the same. You know, it's, I'm interested in street photography, like you mentioned in the intro. Yeah, I want I want to get a little bit into that because I feel like it's one of the things that uh, I feel like a kindred spirit to you. Because one of the things that's odd about me is I like to walk across the city, and I might go on like an eight-hour walk, much to the annoyance of my wife sometimes. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, and I'll see you out there sometimes, and you're do, you're you're on a long walk and you're taking photos, and I just kind of I kind of thought that's interesting that like not a lot of people do this, like go on epically long walks. Uh, but you, you're more pur- purpose-driven, it seems, well, with these the days, camera. These days I am. Yeah. But, I, I mean, I, when I, I guess it all, like, going back to, like, my trip to Europe, like, I spent three months in Europe in 98, and all I did was, like, walk. I didn't have a camera. I actually had a 110 camera, and I almost never took any photos. Right. 110 film camera. And I just, like, I like walking around looking at what people are doing and, like, at architecture. Right. And that, that's really all I do when I walk around now. It's just now I've got, like, film cameras in my hand. Right. And I'm taking photos of it as I go. But it's I'm really sort of paying attention to the same stuff that I always have. It's a little bit more pointed because, you know, I'm, I'm now I'm trying to, like, capture images or whatever. But right. it's still, like, pretty much the same. Slightly slower pace, but right. really about the same, the same process of just walking around looking at stuff. I was looking at some of your stuff and I was noticing, you know, like the masks on people and like, and like, I've, I'm wondering like how it'll be viewed like 30 years from now, like of that era of that time, not just the cars, but the mask and how emblematic those, those pictures will be of this era. So have, um, you, have you thought about that, the way that, the way your pictures will look in the distance? I mean, I, I have uh, to a certain extent, yeah. I, I really, I'm, I don't really like have a, a plan. I just try to photograph what's in front of me. Right. And, you know, living in, we don't live in the United States, even though we're both from the States. Yeah. And, uh, like, I see videos of, you know, on YouTube of, like, photography channels and stuff and other, and, like, it's like the pandemic's over. Like, nobody's in a mask. Right, <laughs> right. And it, it, it's in stark contrast to, like, what we see when we step out the door here yeah. because everybody's, I mean, 99. 8% of everybody has a mask unless they're smoking a cigarette yeah. or stuffing something down yeah. in their face, you yeah. know, or drinking something. But, uh, so, like, I'm just, I'm not, like, I'm not, like, like trying to find something different that's, that's in front of me. Like, I find, the, I find the photos of people with the masks on interesting because, like, that's what I'm seeing. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm, you know, hopefully, I'm, I'm sure everybody hopes this, I'm hoping that eventually I'll stop seeing so many masks that, right, because that right. means we'll be back down into, we'll be back into a little bit more normalcy. Yeah. Um, but I, I think like from a documentary, document, from a documentary, if, I'm, if that's the right term, uh, standpoint, I think it, it'll probably be fairly good. It'll, I, I will like it. You know, right. I guess that's the that's the most important right. thing. Yeah, watch them come and go. I like it now, so like, right. I'm assuming I'll like it then, and I might it might have a d- slightly different opinion of it. But I heard November 9th might be a, a date that the Korean government's looking at right now for ending like rules or you being the fined. Outdo. You being fined a hundred thousand won or whatever. So that is still going on. Yeah, I guess so. 
Okay, well, I think we talked about that the other day and we weren't sure if it was still the case. Yeah, you can get fined 100,000 won, though it's worse in Abu Dhabi apparently. I have a friend who's got charged $800 or something like that. I mean, the, 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 the wearing of the masks in public, it's not a big deal. Yeah. It's just, it's just a fucking, it's just fucking annoying. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. it's not like that big a deal. Like, right. I wear glasses, my glasses fog up. <laughs> right. You know, I, I, it's, it's hot and humid in Korea, so, you know, it just makes it th that much more sweaty and miserable. Right. Um, you know, it's just, an, it's, a, it's basically a minor annoyance. And in the winter, I almost feel like it keeps me warm a little bit, so I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. Kind of, <laughs> except for like the, uh, you know, like your breath on oh, your yeah, face. The wet stuff. It's annoying. It's, it, but, you know, it'll be nice when it's, it'll be nice when I'm, when it's done, I guess. One of the things I, I've noticed, I feel like there's a difference in some of the pictures that you take where you kind of got like a crowd shot or kind of like an incognito shot where you take a picture with somebody with like a low shot. And other times it seems like you've asked somebody like really directly, hey, can I take your picture? And like, how do you kind of find where that line is and when you got to do that? And, you know, how do you kind of determine that? Um, I, I usually ask when, you know, like they... They, they see that I have a camera and, <laughs> you know. And, and you don't uh, want to be called out. Hey, you're taking my picture. <laughs> and, you know, it's like I really just would like to take their photo. Yeah. And uh, the I guess they're, they're street portraits at that point. But the, uh, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want them to, I don't ask them to pose or anything like right. that. I just want them to sort of like, you know, they're fully aware. They've, it's all changed because they're aware that I'm in front of them. Right. They, that I'm there. Right. And, you know, like. And, they, and everybody sees you when you walk down the street as a foreigner in Korea, you know. I'm right, a, right. I'm a middle-aged white guy Yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a Korea. And, like, there's no way that everybody notices me when I walk past. So, like, I'm not, like, I'm not hiding from anybody. Yeah. But, you know, I, I ask them and then, you know, just, you know, take, just take a quick shot. It's just on film, so it's usually only one picture. What kind of response rate do you get on that? When I ask, yeah. I'd say it's... It's pretty favorable. Yeah. I'd say uh, I'd say it's about 75%. Oh, that's pretty good. And, it, and I don't ask that much, but right. you know, I did ask yesterday. Right. And I got I got I was 50/50. <laughs> so, but it was just <laughs> two rougher. two people. I noticed I noticed maybe because we have like a lot of older people in the neighborhood, a lot of your subjects are older. Is that true? I like I like the way old people look yeah. on, on film. Right, right. Um, maybe it's sort of my burgeoning, uh, you know, I can see old age coming. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, there's something nice about the, the crevices, like, on their faces. It looks good on right. camera to me. Like, I mean, every, anybody can take pictures of, like, good-looking young people. Yeah. I'm not, like... Also, it's also interesting to see the way they hold themselves up. I feel like you can really capture how they're doing that day. An older person, it's much more exposed what their energy levels had on any given day, I feel. That's true. Um, I don't know. They just have, they have a lot of character. And, uh, you know, they're all going to, we're all going to be dead. And, you know, myself included, like in 40 years, all of those old people will be dead. And so will I probably. Yeah. Which isn't very long because I've already... You know, I just turned 50, so, yeah. you know, like, the, the chances of living another 50 years are fucking slim, yeah. so. I'm <laughs> <laughs> shooting for 80, that's my plan, I don't, I don't know if I'll 80, I think 80 is, 80 is good. 80 is a reasonable, you know, 97 is my stretch, but I'm, you know, I don't have much hope. 
Okay, I have a few. Um, I have a few uh, famous carpenters here. I'm just going to say say their name and um, maybe see what kind of response I get from you. Okay. All right. Mark Harmon. He's from uh, CSI. Um, yeah, well, he's always building boats on that yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You like, mean yeah. like his character's famous? No, as a the carpenter? real actor. He was a carpenter. Before. Okay. Yeah. I, the only other guy that I knew that was a carpenter was Harrison Ford. Harrison he, is he Ford. On, the list? on my list. He All was right. number three. So next I had Nick Offerman. Uh, who's he? Uh, he's like in Park and Recreation. He's got like the beard. He's got kind of like an interesting voice. I think, I mean, I, I've not really watched the I show. I haven't watched either, but uh, yeah, I, I know who he is because he's got a distinct like, beard. These are all voice. dudes, that, these are all people that were carpenters when they were young men. Okay, before, before they started like the career that makes them money now, I'm guessing. Okay, I got another one. You ready? Yep. Jesus Christ. Well, I mean, you know. <laughs> He must not have been, uh, for years I've said he really must not have been a very good carpenter because he had a lot to, way too much time on his hands. Right. Yeah. To think, you know, if he were really good, he would have been working more. Right. So. Right. He would have he stayed out of trouble, you know. Yep. That's the lesson there. Okay, I got another Jewish carpenter coming up. All right. Bernie Sanders. The burn. The burn. I didn't know that he was a carpenter. Yeah, just for, right. just for a little bit he was a carpenter, it turns out. That's it's. I mean the the uh, there's there's like a there's a thing in the trades where you don't like the other trades. Right. You know it's it's sort of like a it's tribal I guess even though everybody's building the same stuff but there is I I do have like an affinity for like I like carpenters better than the other trades. Right. Even though like I really value <laughs> plumbing like when shit leaves the house <laughs> yeah. and I like being able to plug something in and a light turns on. But you know the, the house all of that other crap wouldn't be there without the carpenters. Right. You know in the states in 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 Korea everything's a lot of stuff's made with concrete but yeah. If those are the same building the forms is similar to carpentry. So you got that respect, you got that eye contact when you see that other carpenter walking in right yep give them a little wink and nod why well, I, I know how how difficult their job is you know on in an empir empirically speaking mm. you know it's it's it when i was when i was talking about earlier talking about the the grizzled old carpenters when i was young the reason that the, i thought they were grizzled is they were their bodies hurt and one of the reasons I moved to Korea when I was 30 is I, bas I used to joke that I'm retired from being a carpenter because, like, <laughs> my body felt a lot older than 30. Yeah. And, and now, like, I'll, I'll do some big, like, bigger project, and it, I'm, it just wrecks me. I'm lucky to get four hours of work in. Right. Whereas I could have worked eight hours easily when I was young. Hmm. Okay. I had a couple more questions for you. One's just kind of um, looking back on all your carpentry, photography, art art life here, maybe post after arriving to Korea, since Korea. Do you feel like there's any like um, like the success that you're most proud of that you accomplished? Um, well, I mean, personally, my wife and I remodeled our house. Oh, nice. So, which... Is yeah. your house like a big project? Now, some people make a big project with their house and it's always kind of a continuous thing that you're building up on. Well, I mean... It's it's more like just sort of annoying maintenance things because I don't you know like the 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 good the, we bought it ten years ago and the 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 interesting big things are done mm. now I gotta like I gotta repaint it for the second time you know right the paint is chipping off mm. and uh, 
It's it's all right. I don't really like love doing carpentry. I'm, right. I, if I were a rich person, I would love to have lots of things happening all the time and just pay people to do it. Nice, yeah. You know, like good, good, good craftsmen. You know, but uh, that's pretty good. But what I, what I most like about living there is like it's you know it's a fairly fairly unique house. You know, we we gutted it, opened it up, and uh, it's fairly industrial, modern even though it was built in the, the, the main house was built in the 80s. But uh, I just find that it, it makes me feel better for like all of the other artwork that I do, like living in a place that I like. Hmm. So it's sort of like the, you know, the genesis of like a lot of stuff since, I, since, I, since we finished it. Because I, I didn't do much art for about two years. Right. But what did come out of like building that house was uh, the furniture came out of I never built any furniture, but it's a small, oddly shaped room, like oddly shaped rooms in a small house. It's less than a square, it's less, just under a thousand square feet, four bedroom house. Mm. So I started building like desks and stuff and like areas, mostly because I think I was like trying to find places that I wanted to write in the house. Mm -hmm. So I was like trying to create these spaces and I was building like tables and bookshelves and stuff out of reclaimed material. And, uh, and then the reason that you that we met through the uh, art collective is some friends of mine like James and Rosie, they got me. They they re they liked the furniture that I was making, and they right. said, "Hey, you should, uh, you know, this is this is some stuff that would be good in this art collective." Yeah, we really haven't had many other carpenter medium stuff in in the collective. One of the founding members, a guy named Mark. Okay. But that, you know, he he's he left Korea years ago. Uh, okay. Okay. And he was a he was a fine finished carpenter. He and he studied you know furniture making in university at an art college in San Francisco. Mm. He was better at making furniture than my my furniture is a lot rougher. <laughs> Have you ever had like a spectacular failure in making furniture where you just like okay that didn't work at all? I'm just throwing that in the garbage pile. Or a lot of I mean there's a lot of stuff I just take it apart. Yeah, know? and it's it's all like I reuse the material oh, quite a. That's the great thing about being a carpenter. You just reclaim the failed project right away. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm getting a lot of the material off the street as well. Um, I saw you carrying like a door yesterday. You just found it. <laughs> was, what it was, was that? You're carrying a giant sign or something. Yeah, it's like they've got these, uh, in Korea, they've got these, a lot of businesses and buildings. They put these carved, they're about, about 16 inches wide and they're about two meters tall. Mm -hmm. they're, they're like wooden signs. Yeah. And they can either be like vertical or horizontal, and you find them. Pe people throw them away periodically, so I've, yeah. I get them, and I they're just it's really nice wood. It's I think it's Luan. It's from uh, sort of a harder soft wood from like Southeast Asia somewhere, hmm. and I and I use it in a, like a variety of things. Like I've built shelves out of them. I've built benches, stools. Um, the one that I found yesterday. I think I'm gonna, and I've got, I've found a uh, a huge compressor tank from an old compressor that's sitting on the street downtown, oh, wow. and I'm gonna make a table out of that. Oh, nice! That my wife's probably not gonna like, but you know, <laughs> like we don't have a uh, we don't have a coffee table right now. But we've got the show coming up in November, so it's gonna be. I think I'm gonna build it and put it in that. I'll get to see this table soon, then. Yep, and it'll be with that top. So huh. that's uh. You know, that's the, and that, that should take me, I don't know, it shouldn't, it shouldn't take me that long. Okay. 
What about just one final one here? Any other kind of future plans you got going on? Um, no, I mean, you know, like just most of the, most every day I'm just going out taking photos sort of with the idea, with the, on, with the eye of like, you know, putting together a book at some point. I don't know. I've got, I've got well over 10,000 shots now wow. on film. I don't even know how much I've. I do know that I've spent about four thousand dollars on film. Wow, it's like an expensive hobby. <laughs> it it's sort of it's ballooned. That's not including cameras. Right. Um, I do have an affinity for expensive film cameras. Right. High how many quality. cameras do you have right now? I only have four. Okay. I I just bought one though. I've got one on the way. Okay. Um, Soon you'll have five. Oh, five. <laughs> but uh, and I just sold several of them. But it's. You know, it's it's like the, they're all like a little bit different. Like the one that I brought in the studio today is a waterproof camera, and it's you know like we were talking about, it's raining. Yeah. Um, so I can walk around with it without worrying about it getting rained, and it, it rains a lot in Korea, so I don't think it's a, a bad purchase. That lens does look a little bit different than the other cameras that you have, like yeah. that kind of sided thing there. Is that part of the waterproof in there? Yeah. Okay. It's all waterproof, and uh, I mean this is a podcast, so nobody can see it. But <laughs> you can you can. Uh, if you if you're if you're keen to know what it is, you can Google uh, Nikon Nikonos three or Nikon Nikonos. They all sort of look the same, but yeah, it's like a. And m most of your cameras, they f they look like they came out of what decade? Um, this is from like, 1975. 1970, and that's pretty standard about the 70s kind of cameras that you like, yeah. All uh, the the other camera that's in my bag right now, and again. You know, nobody can see it because we're, we're audio only. <laughs> it's a Leica M2 from 1965, I think. Okay. And it's a, you know, range, a range finder camera. It's These are all the cameras that I, you know, that my grandparents and parents had, like, find lying around their houses. Like, that kind of style, right? If they have one of those lying around their house, then I suggest you get it because those are quite expensive and great cameras. Right. Well, yeah, or I should tell them that don't let it just sit there. Take At least get a little money out of it, maybe, or something. But someone would like that. I mean, the, the two cameras I've got here, the Leica M2 and the, and the Nikon Nikonos, what I really like about them is the, the image quality is good, depending on the lens that you put on them, but the lenses are good. They actually have the exact same lens on them. Uh, I've got a, I've, the both of them have a Nikon, Nikkor uh, 2.5, 35-millimeter lens. Mm -hmm. It's the same, it's the same like uh, lens design. And uh, they're quiet on the street, you know, and I, we live in Korea like you. Yeah. I don't really want to just, you know, be really obvious of what I'm, what I'm doing. Right, right. And I, I don't, and I never, I don't like it. You know, I don't like the way SLRs sound. They're just right. obnoxious as shit. <laughs> They're great cameras, but I mean, they, they just sound they sound so obnoxious I out you. on the street. Well, I've seen you do the thing where you're having the camera hang by your your belly, and then like you'll do like a click while where it looks like you're not taking a photo. Yeah, it's, you, some of those incognito shots are very convenient with these type of cameras, I imagine. Well, the the first film camera that I bought was a, a Rolleiflex, which is a, a medium format twin lens reflex camera where it's you look down at the viewfinder mm -hmm. so I'm like really I'm really comfortable like shooting from the waist I like that that's smart so and then most of the time I'd say it's like sort of more towards like I hold the like the, the sort of hold it about it my solar plexus okay 
And like these are wider angle lenses, so you know you don't. With a 50 millimeter, you really need to like look through the viewfinder to frame the shot a little bit more. But a 35 millimeter or a 28 millimeter lens, like on 35 millimeter format, really you can just sort of like spray it out there, and you're gonna catch. You don't know exactly how it's framed, mm -hmm. but you know like that's that's what after you develop it. Because I, I develop my own film, so hmm. you know it's not expensive, and I generally develop stuff you know within the within the f few days of taking the photo is it hard to buy film in here no there's a you, you can buy stuff from the states online and then i do bu i buy stuff online from a korean source film09.com there's a kodak guy in daejeon though right i've seen like a kodak store is that is that he's a, a he's a kodak developer oh, okay uh he does sell a little bit of film there's also a nikon shop that sells film right and like it's it's mostly well it's mostly color film the the nikon shop has uh kodak film but it's like 15 bucks a roll okay fifteen thousand a roll yeah. so i shoot i i bulk load my own film i use fomapan 400 okay so it ends up costing me about, in U.S. dollars, about $3.50 a roll. Okay, not too bad. And then I develop myself. The chemicals are quite inexpensive. It's, it's under, it's under 4,000 Korean won to mm -hmm. shoot and develop the film hmm. per roll. Well, that makes it sound like a manageable hobby until you get into all the cameras you've purchased. Well, that, <laughs> but I just told you that I spent about $4,000 that, on that's film. That's the film? Well, <laughs> it's... Like this, I, I got like a, the Film09 contacted me cause like, they're like, I wasn't doing something. Like I wasn't saying that I had received their packages. And yeah. if you do that, then you get like 1% credit. Ah. So they called my wife, they called me and they're like, you need to give us the correct phone number for your wife. Cause we need to talk to her. Cause my Korean's not that good. Right. And basically they were like, look, he's got money on this. <laughs> and we'd like him to use it because it's like he's earned credit. So like all he has to do is like, you know, go through his orders and say, I've received it, uh, everyone, of which there was a lot, you know, about five pages worth. And it, w it ended up being 38,000 won, $38, oh, wow. <laughs> which means that's 1%. <laughs> right. So that adds uh, 3.8 3. million won. Well. I think that maybe it's less. Anyway, it was a lot. Yeah. That's impressive. So that I didn't know what it was until the other day. So, but yeah, I, I shoot about a roll a day. That's great. Well, you know, thanks for being on the Perplex Pad, being my second guest here. It was a lot of fun having you and hearing about your passions. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> glad to glad to do it, and I'm, uh, you know, glad to be the second guest. Sure, you know, a lot sure. less pressure. Nobody yeah. remembers the second. <laughs> no. I mean, who's the second person on the moon? Right. And I'd like to just say thanks again to Hank Haddock, the carpenter, the photographer, the wandering man of Dejan. You were a wonderful guest. And next week, we'll talk to some other John. I might even find a guy named John. I know, like, eight Johns. So, there's a pretty good chance. Okay. I will see you with my eyeballs next week on The Perplexed Bat.